All right. Hey, week number two here at 2415 Lifehouse Industrial Drive. Come on, guys. Isn't that great? That's right. Last week was not a dream. It is reality, and this is our home base for the multiplication of disciples in the hill country for the foreseeable future. Uh, and with that, I, this should be no news to you that this has been bathed uh, and undergirded in a whole lot of prayer. Actually, as a matter of fact, the closer you were to the nucleus of this whole endeavor here, uh, the more you saw exactly what it took uh, and how much of that was God's hand. Uh, I think oftentimes uh, the problem with uh, great moves of God is there are so many people on the periphery that is on the outside looking in at all the things that happen uh, that so many, the masses if you will, do not see what God had done and what it took uh, to get people where they are, and that uh, comes to fruition in no better way, at least in our life here in these last few weeks, than moving into this facility. Uh, so many people on the periphery say, yeah, you know, there's a great team. Uh, that pastor up there just you know, went up there, you know, held the city for ransom until they let us in, and, uh, you know, they just, they, they just did it. Uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, the amount of prayer and the amount of, of time so many people uh, put in on their knees with their hands folded, with their eyes closed, uh, praying to God that we could be in a situation uh, that we are has been proved uh, to be the fruitfulness and the fruition of what you are sitting in right here, right now. Uh, if you may be asking, well, how so? Well, uh, we're seven months old as a church plant. I want that to, to sink into your mind. If you had a seven-month-old baby and you said, get out there. Right, go bring home some bacon, all right? You need to go. Get them. Go, all right? And uh, just shows you this how big of a deal it is that a church of seven months old would have its own 24-7 facility that we get to point out and say, God gave that to us, right? I want you to see that because if you don't and you're on the outside looking in, you're just like, that's just how organizations work, except it's not, uh, because what God has provided for us, even in this one situation, I hope at least would, would hook you and make you interested uh, in learning about the power of prayer. And learning about God's expectations for His children when it comes to the topic of prayer. But for instance, I want to ask you a question. I want you to be very honest with me. Who here uh, needs to pray more? Raise your hand. Who here needs to pray more? All right. Not you? No, I didn't really point at anybody, just so you know. <laughs> How many of you, uh, be honest with me, uh, need help learning how to pray better, more effectively? Oh, half of you. Good. All right. Well, if you're with me, uh, you need a lot of help learning how to pray, and you need a lot of help praying some more. Because uh, really what we need to understand fundamentally about prayer is it's how God moves in the lives of people. Uh, you may be one of those people, if you have yet to raise your hand to say, I need help praying. Uh, you may, after this, after you recognize that uh, you don't see God moving so much in your life uh, because you aren't doing the thing that moves God in your life, and that is prayer. And so many of us, we, see, we don't see God moving so much in our lives. Uh, we may see God moving in other places and ask questions like, why is God not moving in my life? Or why don't I see God moving regularly in my life? Or, you know, if God was a God who truly loved me and truly had a purpose for me, I would see Him doing things more. Now, if that's you, which I probably is most of us, many of us in here, and I ask, well, how much time are you spending praying to God? 
And you would say, oh, there's a connection, there's a correlation here between God's uh, active movement in your life and your active involvement in praying to God. Now, this will come out uh, vividly throughout this sermon, but what we need to understand is prayer is just this. It's communicating with God. That's it. Isn't that the easiest definition you've ever heard in your life? That prayer is us communicating with God. Now, it's a simple definition, but here's the profundity. Right Here is what is so big of a deal, if you will, about the idea of prayer. Since Genesis 3, there's a fall of man, if you understand Genesis, right? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, creation of the world, man and woman entering the garden in communion with God, God providing for them abundance and fruitfulness, uh, and God communing with people and people communi- communing with God. This was uh, the perfect uh, place in, in which uh, man and God had lived together. But something happened in Genesis 3, and we can sum it up uh, this way. Man can no longer communicate with God without a mediator. That is, there was no way for you and for me or for anyone else to communicate with God Himself. That, was the, that is the culmination of the problem of sin, is that we were separated from God. So from Genesis 3 all the way to the crucifixion of Christ, and we can, we can actually back that up a little bit, to the, uh, to the incarnation of Christ, uh, there was a problem in the world, and that was this. People could not communicate with God. The people could not communicate like we have this free opportunity in Christ to communicate with God. People throughout history could not communicate with God. There was a separation and a distance between us that could not attach us to the sovereign God of the universe. Now, without getting into too many details, uh, suffice it to say this, the thing that people long for the most for thousands and thousands and thousands of years is the very thing that you and I take for granted. The privilege of us communing with God through Christ uh, is the very thing that for thousands and thousands of years, people who feared the Lord and loved the Lord wanted so badly that they would uh, go through the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament just to communicate with God. They would uh, be interceded through the, the, the high priest who would enter into this place called the Holy of Holies once a year to stand in the presence of God to atone for the sins of a nation. And one time, once a year, one person for a short amount of time could stand in the presence of God and communicate with God. That's what it took because of our sin and our separation from God because God could not be with unholy people. Now, I want you to see how big of a deal this is because now in Christ, because he lived, and do you know Christ's name, what they, told, what they were said to have called him when he was born? You will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, you see this? Okay, right? Blow your mind right then. The fact was the whole plan from eternity past to eternity future is that God would be with his people communing and communicating with his people. And so it is no byproduct of the Christian faith to pray or to pray when you can or pray how you can or, or whenever the time comes where you can just throw up some prayers. The, the basis and fundamental uh, thing of being a Christian is that we get to communicate with God. And it is the reason that Christ came uh, to save us was so that we could be connecting and communicating with God. So if we sit here this morning, what I want us to understand as we move forward in the sermon is we have a responsibility, uh, a privilege to communicate with God, and one that has not been taken lightly throughout history, but one that as the years have passed here in the 21st century, we make an optional part of our Christian faith and not a fundamental part of our Christian faith, which all of history has seen as fundamental, important, pivotal, 
and climactic of the Christian faith. So I want to make sure that you and I understand prayer as the indispensable connection with God that we must be careful to engage in with the sovereign God of the universe who desires to hear our prayers. Did you hear that? The sovereign God of the universe who has spoke the universe into existence has said, I want to hear your prayers and I want to communicate with you. I can't even get my neighbor to answer the door when I want to invite him to church. Right? I, you can't go to the White House and get the, pre- the attention of the president. Right? A lot of you can't even get your friends to text you back. But the God of the universe has said, my desire is that you would pray to me. As a matter of fact, let me give you a scripture. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. Jot that down. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. Many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11, don't you? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know that one, don't you? Do you know 12 and 13? No? Okay, I'll read it. 12 through 13. Here's the plan. That if you will call upon me, and if you will come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Look at that. Look at the plan. Do you see the promise of God? The promise of God is that if we will come to him and we will pray to him, he's going to hear us. I mean, that's a great promise. How many people do you right now wish, if I called that person, I know for a fact they'd answer me. Well, you have the creator of the universe who has said, I'm going to hear you and I'm going to answer you. And here's how we're going to do it. Verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, there's something that we need to understand about prayer. uh, And it's not a a toss-up prayer, a popcorn prayer, or a microwave prayer, right? Uh, That's not the the goal of our prayer life. Our goal is not like uh, when I was growing up, you had the magic eight ball, right? And you could shake it around and you could ask a question and something would pop up and say, not now, talk to me later. Okay. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who wants to be intimately acquainted and engaged with his children. And it means for us that we have to understand the importance of prayer. And if you haven't already, I want you to turn to Colossians 4 in verse 2. Colossians 4 will be in verse 2. You see, because the problem we're going to have here is without an active, robust prayer life, our faith is going to be empty, it's going to be lacking, and it's going to be yearning for more. Right? Maybe many of you in here, you didn't raise your hand if you needed help praying more. But if I ask you, and I won't, but if I ask you to raise your hand if you feel like your faith is empty, or if you felt like your faith is lacking, or if you felt like your faith was yearning for more, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you thought, I feel like there's something missing, and, and I just can't put my thumb on it, uh, and I just don't understand why and what I'm missing I will tell you most confidently that what you are missing is a robust prayer life, is a a communion with God that you can only experience with God through the power of prayer. And that's what Colossians 4.2 starts with as Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Colossians in this new sermon series that we've entitled Prayer and Evangelism, Two Fundamental Parts of the Christian Faith. We need to first start and understand that our life as Christians is completely based on our prayer life. I mean, how did you get saved? What did you do? You prayed to God. You said, God, forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins and I trust in you. I mean, it started with you talking and communing with God. And it never stops from here into eternity. Our whole lives are predicated on us communicating and connecting with God. 
Many of our, our faith lives are empty, lacking, and yearning for more because the very thing we based our life on, connection with God, is the very thing that we do not spend time on day to day to day to day to day. And then we wonder why the day to day to day to day to day to day today is lacking and yearning for more when God has made it very clear that if you will come after me, if you will seek me, you're going to find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, we don't need microwave prayers, right? We don't need the kind of prayers uh, that we scheduled everything within our day, uh, and then with that little moment that we have left before our head hits the pillow and we lose consciousness, I throw up a couple of popcorn prayers, okay? What we need is some slow-cooked brisket prayers, you know what I'm saying? All right? We need some of those prayers where I had to go plan for it, right? Somebody had to go uh, slaughter a cow and cut it into two pieces and give me half of it, okay? And I had to go and I had to, to purchase it and I had to take it home and I had to go buy the rub for it and, and all the seasoning for it. And I had to buy this massive smoker and I had to go get some wood, not that nasty wood, the, the wood that smells good, that I can taste it when I eat the meat, right? And I need to put it in the smoker. I need to light it up, okay? And I need to let it sit and heat up so when I open up the lid, it's going to be billowing with smoke. You See what I'm saying? This takes some time, doesn't it? Okay? And then I need to take this honking half a cow, okay? And I need to put it on top of the cooker. And I need to close the lid. I need to, well, I need to wrap it up with foil. I need to season it. I need to do all those things. I need to close the lid. And I'm going to spend the next 8 to 10 to 12 to 24 to 36 hours cooking this thing. That's the kind of prayers that God desires his people to have, not microwave prayers. You say, well, why not microwave prayers? Well, why don't you eat microwave food every day of your life? You want to do that? When do you eat microwave prayers? When you don't have time, right? When you're in a hurry, when you're in a rush, and you didn't plan. When do you give microwave prayers to God? When you're in a rush, when you don't have time, when you didn't plan, right? We can't live off microwave food just like we can't live off microwave prayers. We can't live off the prayers that we don't plan, and we can't live off the prayers that we, that we, we don't invest in. We need to make sure that we're slowing down enough in our prayers that our prayers look more like slow-cooked brisket than microwave pizza. And then I promise you that God is going to do great things in your life. I'm not saying you're going to have the nicest car in the universe, because God doesn't care that you have the nicest car in the universe, but God cares that you communicate with Him. And God cares that you would ask Him what His will is and His desires are, and that you would walk in those things. And in those things, God would do great and marvelous things in your life, but it's going to take you doing this, and it's point number one. I want you to write it on your outline. Write it on your outline, point number one. You need to devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Because that's what it says in Colossians 4.2. You need to continue steadfastly in prayer. If you're in your, your Bible and you take uh, notes or you underline in your Bible, underline that word continue. Or depending on what translation you have, we use ESV, but if you have another translation, it may say uh, continue or devoted uh, or be constant in. Uh, underline that word. Because the, the entirety of verse 2 is predicated on that one verb, that imperative. And that's what it is. It's an imperative. So everything you're going to hear after this uh, is all pointing back to this one thing. And this one thing for you and for me is that we have to be devoted to prayer. It has to be something that I've planned for, something that I'm constant in, and something that takes a considerable amount of my life and energy. I know that's not what you're waiting to hear for. You're not, you don't want to hear from me that you've got to give more of your time and more of your energy and more of your life to something else. But what I'm saying is I'm not saying that. God's Word says that. And it's something that we have got to be all about. If, we're, if we say we're Christians, we've got to be all about devoting ourselves to communicating with God. 
you know, something we can do. I'll give you actually three C's. If you want to devote yourself uh, to God uh, more, even starting today, you need three C's. All right, three C's, and your first one is this. You need to calendar it. Write this down. If you, we're a note-taking church here, if you didn't know that, and so we love when you take notes. If you need a pen or you need a handout, we have people at the back who will get you those. If you can just maybe lift your hand up or walk back there, you can get it because we want you to take notes because what we don't want you to do is, is leave here and forget everything that was said because what we believe, what God's Word says, we believe that it needs to be applied in our lives and taken out with us when we go. But the first thing we need to do is, is we need to calendar it. And that just means we need to make a plan, right? Everything that you're devoted to and everything that you are invested in, you have a plan for it, don't you? You make a plan for it because it's important. And that plan is there for you to know how to go about that thing that you are so invested in. And in our prayer life is, is no different. We need to make a plan, which means this. We need a place and we need a time. So in your prayer life, I want to make sure that you have a place that you go and a time when you go, right? You go to work. What, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock, depends on where you work, right? Uh, every day, you know where you're going because you know the address and you know the time that you're supposed to get there because you're devoted to your job. You are. Many of you have to be. Many people don't want to be, but you have to be. But the point is, is you know where you're going and you know what time you need to be there. In the same way, in our prayer life, we've got to make sure that we've made a plan, that we have a place and we have a time, and then I'm going to put it on my daily schedule. I'm going to put it on my calendar prayer time, this time to this time. You say, well, I don't like putting God in a box, and I don't like telling God when I'm going to come pray to him. No, but he sure would like you to care enough to put it on the calendar, right? Uh, my wife, uh, you know, doesn't expect me to, to, to always put it on the calendar every single time we're going to communicate throughout the day, but she sure loves it once or twice a week when I put this special time on the calendar where her and I get to go on a date, right? And she looks at that time on the calendar. She said, this is our time. This is a time that you, I have set apart that we're communicating with each other, and so, although I'm not putting my, my relationship and my marriage in a box by saying, honey, these are the only times we communicate, but I definitely set apart some time to make sure we are communicating and to make sure we are in relationship to one another. And I'm going to tell you, you should not think about your relationship with God any different. You need to not put God in a box, but putting him on your calendar isn't putting him in a box. It's putting you on a plan. And that's what we need to understand if we're going to be devoted to prayer. You need a plan. Secondly, you need to commit that is, you need to stick to the plan. Uh, we're not talking about New Year's resolution stuff, okay? We're not talking about January 28th and you really you lost it, okay? We're talking about you setting an alarm and having a timer, okay? Basically, just this right here. You are going to say, I am going to set an alarm on my clock. That means when this time comes, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the place that I set apart to go to, okay? And then I set a timer, okay? Because I know that I get, I, I get distracted a lot of times. A lot of times I don't focus. A lot of times I, I don't even spend time diligently doing what I had my timer on there for. And so you're going to make sure that you have a timer, okay? And you set that timer, 5, 10, 50. If you don't ever pray, set a five-minute timer, okay? If you, if you pray every day, and you're like, five minutes, make it ten. Just go up. Just Whatever you're doing now, go up some. Turn that thing on. And then when somebody walks into the room, whether it's a spouse, whether it's the kids, whether it's whoever it is, even your boss, if you do this at work, which is what it is, okay, you turn it on, and they walk up, and you just put a hand up, okay? And you say, not now, I'm praying, okay? And if you think that's strange, okay, if you were any other religion in the world, and you had a prayer time throughout the day, and their boss walked in, they would look and say, I'll come back later, 
Okay, So all I'm saying for you is understand that you have a sacred time that you're going to spend with God, and people are going to understand the, the general principle of time with a holy, sovereign God. And you need to take time to spend doing that, and don't get distracted. You need to have a timer, and it needs to be uninterrupted. So whatever it takes for you to have uninterrupted prayer, we're going to do those things. We're going to calendar it, we're going to commit to it, and then we're going to be consistent, which means we need to work the plan. Right? We have a plan. I have the ingredients. I know what to do. Okay, now the goal is to go do it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay devoted to the plan. Okay? And I know you got to work hard. I know you got to put a lot of hours in. I know you have a family and a, and a spouse. And I know you got all these jobs to do. And I know you have job interviews. you got school. Uh, all these things. I know you got all these things. And God knows you have all these things. But God still says, when you seek me, and you find, you're going to find me when you seek me with all your heart. And what I want you to do is just simply take God at his word. This morning, all I want you to do is take God at his word. If God says, you're going to find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, guess what? You can, you can rest all of everything you have on. The simple truth that God says, if I seek him with all my heart, I'm going to find him. Wouldn't you love it if so many things in the world were that simple? There was no fine print at the bottom. You didn't have to give your blood and your social security number and all your money to make sure something happens. You just simply have God saying, when you seek me, you're going to find me. When you seek me with all your heart. And when you pray and you call upon me, I'm going to hear you. Right? That is the, the most simple truth that we can ever follow, knowing that it's going to come true. So we need to calendar it, we need to commit to it, and we need to be consistent with it. I don't know, you're saying, but Pastor Hayden, PH, come on, man, what am I going to pray about for five minutes, okay? Like, what am I going to pray about for ten minutes? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay, because Scripture tells you what you should pray about. Do you want to know what you should pray about? I will literally give you an exhaustive list of all the things you should pray about right now. So get your arm ready, okay? I want you to write down or flip to Philippians 4, 6, okay? I'm going to give you a really, really robust list of everything you can pray for. Philippians 4, 6. There you go. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he begins this crazy list of everything that we should pray for. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything pray. There's your list. There's your robust list, right? Everything. Right? There is nothing outside of the purview of God that you should not be praying for. Everything, every, God sees everything. He's involved in everything, and you need to be praying about everything. There's nothing in your life that is outside of the, the stratosphere of prayer. And everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You need to understand, as a basic part of the Christian faith, is that everything is up for grabs when it comes to our prayer with God. Nothing is outside of our necessity to pray to God. So I want to help you start that, right? You calendar it, you commit to it, you're consistent. Now here's how I want you to start. I want to give you something you can start praying about today, and, I'm, and before you leave here, you're going to have a prayer list started, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Before you leave here, especially even if you're new, especially if you're new, okay? If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. We have something we want you to apply to your own life. But for everybody in this room, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick two people in the church today, and I want you to ask them, how can I pray for you this week? I want you to ask. I had, a, I had a couple of people come up to me, which I appreciate so much, but find other people too, uh, because I have a lot of people praying for me. Uh, go ask, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Write it down and commit to praying for them every single day this week. 
Why? Because it's going to get your prayer list started. You need your prayer list starting, and you can do it by building up the church, by going and asking someone as you're out in the lobby, as you're getting your coffee and your, and your snacks outside and your kids are on the bounce house. Uh, you can go and you can ask, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Write it down, start your prayer list, and begin praying for your church today. And do it every single day. When you come back next week, I want to hear testimonies of answered prayers. I want to hear testimonies of people saying, I've prayed for the first time in my whole life, or I've prayed for a week straight for the first time in my whole life, and I have seen God do so many great things because I have noticed that I'm being keen and I'm being connected to God's mind and His will. And since I've been doing those things, I've noticed God doing a whole lot of things that you've never noticed before. Not that God hasn't been working, you just haven't been working with Him. I can't wait to hear about that. I didn't say this at the 9 o'clock, but you know our church has regularly scheduled uh, corporate prayer nights. Uh, we're, gonna, we're getting to where we're doing it once a month. Right now we're at once every other month. But once a month on Saturdays, we come here and we pray together. We worship and we pray because our fifth distinctive at our church, that is our top eight things that we focus on as a church every single day of our lives, number five is we have a genuine reliance on prayer. And that is the truth of the matter, is we know that we can do nothing good outside of God, and God's desire is that we communicate with Him so that He can provide us the means to do everything we do. And God wants that corporately for our church, but He wants it for you individually as a person, as somebody who has turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, that is, you are a Christian. God wants you to depend on Him for your provision and to call out to Him, and He will hear you and He will answer you. So I want you to come to our regular scheduled prayer meetings. We'll publish those. We'll announce them. But commit to being at those things. Because at those meetings, we're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to pray together. You're going to pray individually. You're going to pray in groups. We're going to, take, we're going to give you prayer lists to go home and pray. I mean, we're praying church. We're praying people because we're people connected to God. We spent this time so far telling you what you need to do, and that is be devoted to prayer. That's what you need to do. Okay? There's your imperative that is imperative. That is, it's something you have to go do. Now, we haven't yet discovered, or at least if you've never read Philippians 4-2, you haven't discovered yet how we pray. We understand what we're doing, but let's look into how we do it. There are two ways in which we know how to pray, and the first one is this, and it's found in the middle of verse 2 when it says, continue in prayer, being watchful. Go ahead, and if you take notes, if you write down in your Bible, underline or circle the word watchful. That word watchful is a participle, okay? And if you don't like English class, join the club, but here's what you need to know, okay? A participle is just, it's, it's attached to the main verb, okay? Which means the imperative is that we're devoted, okay? In what way are we devoted would be the participle. So therefore, that word watchful means in what way ought we be devoted in prayer? In a watchful way. That's how we pray, in a watchful way. Okay, and here's what that word watchful means. Uh, in the Greek, it means simply this, and you may, may mean this in your life today. All right? You're watchful because you stay awake because of the need to stay awake. And, I mean, there's a simple definition. And throughout history and throughout different civilizations, uh, staying awake was very important for the safety of society, your village, and your family because you had to stay awake to protect your family, protect your assets and everything you had because people were coming to to pillage, and to plunder your civilizations. And so it was important for people to be watchful because they needed to be watchful. And that same image is a way in which we see prayer happening. Right? We are watchful in prayer because we need to be watchful in prayer. So many of you have an emptiness in your prayer life, in your faith life, and you have all this chaos going on all the time simply because you're not being watchful in your devotion to prayer. 
You're not watching out for everything that's coming. The Bible tells us that Jesus says, hey, if I was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. He says, listen, it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. Bad things are going to happen. And what I'm telling you to do is be watchful in prayer. Watch out for these things. My parents have a dog. His name is Jax. He's a German shepherd. He's legitimately the largest German shepherd in the whole world. Uh, and he is the loudest German shepherd in the whole world. And here's what he does. When we go visit my parents, uh, the moment that I pull into the city of Ladonia, Texas, he starts barking. I know it. I'm not there, but I know it. Okay, he smells me. He knows I'm coming. Uh, the minute that I pull into the street that he's coming to, he's, uh, he's screaming. He's clawing at the, the whole gate. Uh, and by the time I, I drive into the driveway, he's busted out of his entire cage, and he's, he's literally walking to open the door to let me in, and he's barking the whole time. He's, he's a barking kind of dog, okay? Uh, yeah, that dog annoys me. He's the most annoying dog that I have ever seen in my life. Uh, and he barks incessantly. When the mailman comes every single day, at the same time, he barks. When my mother comes home from work every single day, he barks. When, I mean, every single day. I'm like, you've, you've been alive for long enough to know she comes home every day at 4.30. Like, you don't have to bark every single time. Every single moment, this dog barks. This dog barks at things it thinks it hears. There are times where nothing has happened and the dog barks. Okay. This dog annoys me. But this dog taught me a lesson about prayer. And that is uh, that Jax notices and sees an importance to alert his owners every single time something happens so they know what's going on. Okay? That dog, at the smallest provocation, barks his head off and, le- and alerts everyone on what's going on. And all I'm saying is we should spend more time like Jax and barking every single time something happens, even when something hasn't happened and it's about to happen. We should be alert just like Jack's in our prayer life, to know that we are going to pray and we are going to seek after God and we are going to go to Him every single time something's brought up. Every single time something happens in our life, we're going to bark. No, we're going to pray. You and I, we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to go and we're going to pray. And I put it this way in point number two is you need to stay alert in your prayers. You need to stay alert in your prayers. A verse you can, you can flip to is Mark 14. I want you to see just how important Jesus, right? I mean, uh, if you're in here and you're like, you're questioning the faith, you're questioning the Apostle Paul, that mean old man, all right? You're, you're questioning, uh, how do I know the Old Testament is all those things. But the one thing that you're definitely like, okay, we got to follow that guy, it's Jesus, right? I mean, you're going to be one of those people who say, well, Jesus, if he said it, I mean, I got to do it. Well, I want you to hear what he says about prayer. At Compass Bible Church, we believe the whole Bible, the whole Bible is inspired. That means breathed out by God. All of it's profitable for, for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be uh, equipped and complete for every good work. We believe those things. Uh, but even if you didn't believe those things, you at least understand it's fundamental to the Christian faith to believe in what Jesus says, right? Well, here's what he says about prayer. And here's what he says about being alert in your prayer. Jesus, in Mark 14, starting in verse 34, uh, he's with his disciples, and it's coming, Passion Week's coming, which that is the week that he gets betrayed, he gets arrested, uh, he gets hung on the cross. And at the very beginning of this, he does something really important, and he prays. And this is, what, this, this is how the account unfolds in verse 34. He said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. That's the same Greek word that we just saw in 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And he says, remain here and watch. What he means is watch in prayer. He's not, he's not saying go be on the lookout for the people coming to get me. He's saying you need to remain here and watch in prayer. And I can show you that in a moment. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and he prayed. And here's how he prayed. That if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said to, he said to God, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. So he's praying. This is about to be the, the, the most difficult thing he's ever done in, in, in earthly ministry is to go and for the wrath of God to be poured out on him, him to take the sins of humanity, bear them on the cross where the face of God turns away from him and he's going to have to bear the iniquity of us all. That's, that's a pretty dark place to be. Okay? And he prays to God, uh, if, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But here is the end of the story. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus said, period, at the end of the day, I don't want what I want, I want what you want. What you want, God, uh, is what I'm going to submit my life to. Now, we're talking about disciples, we're talking about Jesus' friends here, right? His closest compadres, companions, his amigos, the people that, that should be invested in him the most. Okay. Jesus is about to go through the worst part of his entire life, and look at verse 37. Jesus came back from his prayer when he told them to go stay alert and watch, and he found them sleeping. He found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Well, of course you're asleep. Right. Could you not watch one hour? Could you not? For, for 60 minutes, could you not be alert in verse 38 and watch and pray? Could you not for 60 minutes watch and pray? I say this because so many of us, when we popcorn pray, what we do is the last fleeting moments of consciousness when we lay down to go to sleep at night, we pray to God until we just that's anyone? Anyone guilty of that, right? I mean, that's how we pray. And Jesus' attitude of this is like, listen, you need to be alert. Could you not even watch for one hour? And then he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I mean, that is, that is the desire of our prayers oftentimes, right? Because if not, our prayers become, God, forgive me that I fell into temptation. I mean, how many times, even as a Christian, are, are your prayers so much 90% about, God, forgive me for this, 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 and this. And then you spend like 20 seconds saying, oh, God, I got these other things can you pray about? But first, forgive me for all the things I did, right? I mean, our prayer life should not be consumed with forgiveness, 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 like all the time. Of course, we got to pray about those things. We need to repent from those things. But God's saying, you need to be praying all the time so that when those things come up, you're not praying prayers of forgiveness. You're praying prayers of thankfulness because I didn't fall into those temptations. You see, prayer keeps us from temptation. So if you're one of those people in here, it's like, I'm tempted by, I'm tempted by money, I'm tempted by lust, I'm tempted by, I'm tempted by pride, I'm tempted by all these other things that are happening in the world. You need to be alert in those things, and you need to go to God in prayer about those things. We've got to stay alert. And here's why. Look at the end of verse 38. It's important. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you, uh, in the spirit of God, he pricks you, and, and in your deepest soul, you want to pray more? How many? Anybody in here? You want to pray? Every one of us, don't we? We say, man, I wish I prayed more. It'd sure be great if I took some more time praying. Some of you in here have literally gone as far as saying, I'm going to commit to praying more, and I can't wait. I'm going to go out there. Some of you today are saying, I'm, going to, I'm leaving here. I'm going to pray all the way home with my eyes closed on the road. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. But that's how committed you are. Because right now your spirit is being stirred up, and you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Whatever, I'm going to do it. But it says here, but the flesh is weak. How many of you guys have committed to praying and committed to praying and committed to praying and three days later, no prayers in sight? The truth of the matter is that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God in you 
pulls you and draws you to pray to him, and our flesh is weak. So many things in our life are trying to keep us from prayer. First and foremost is our own flesh that desires to do other things that we deem more important or more fulfilling. Knowing that the thing that we do, don't do, which is pray, uh, would be the most draining thing in our lives because when we don't communicate with God, we aren't filled up by God. We've got to make sure that even though the flesh is weak, that the Spirit is willing to draw us into prayer, and we need to be watchful and pray. Uh, George Mueller, if you don't know who George Mueller is, uh, George Mueller was a faithful uh, pastor in the 1800s, and actually probably in church history, he's probably one of the most powerful men of prayer uh, that has lived in, in recent memory. Uh, George Mueller is most famously known for uh, founding an orphanage. Now, this orphanage grew to be over a thousand children. Uh, But this orphanage was unique in one particular sense, uh, in this way, that he did not ask anyone for money or anyone for investments. George Mueller said this, I'm going to found an orphanage to the glory of God for the good of the people, uh, but I'm only going to do it in one way, praying to God. I will not ask anyone for a dime, but I'm going to grow and build an orphanage, and I'm going to pray to God to provide every dime and every dollar we need. He did this for decades and decades and decades, and he never once asked one person for a dime. And I want to uh, give you a little excerpt in one of his books where he journaled and wrote out how God had answered prayers. And I want to read to you one excerpt uh, on June 13th in 1853 when George Mueller was staying vigilant in his prayers. And here's, here's what he says. We are now very poor. There was needed, we needed flour to, to cook food, and we generally buy 10 sacks at a time. We need 300 stones of oatmeal. We need tons of soap so these kids can, can stay clean. And there were many little repairs going on in the house with a number of workmen besides the regular current expenses of about 70 pounds per week. Over and above all this, on Saturday, the day before yesterday, I found that the heating apparatus needed to be repaired, which would cost, in all probability, 25 pounds. It was therefore desirable, humanly speaking, to have 100 pounds for these heavy extra expenses besides the means for the current expenses. You don't have to know British logic right there, right? To think, wow, this guy needed a lot of money that he didn't have. You didn't have to to think too much about what it means to run an orphanage to realize a thousand children need to be taken care of and they have not the means to take care of a thousand kiddos. Some of you in here have three kiddos and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to provide for them tomorrow. And yet he's doing this for a thousand. But here's what happens. He says, I had no human prospect whatever of getting even a hundred pennies, much less a hundred pounds. In addition to this, today was Monday when generally the income is little. They don't make a lot of money on Mondays. But in walking to the orphan house this morning and praying as I went, again, intentionality, alertness, right? He's walking to his work, knowing full well what needs to happen for him to provide what he needs to provide for the glory of God and for the good of those children. Here's what he says. I was walking to the orphan house and praying as I went. I particularly told the Lord. Did you hear that? He didn't say I generally told the Lord. He didn't say, God, you know everything I need, just do it, please. I got work to do. He particularly told the Lord. He told the Lord all those things that I had just said individually, particularly, and specifically. That on this day, though Monday, this is what he says, I told the Lord particularly that on this day, though it's Monday, and I know money doesn't come, that God, you could send me much. That God, you can send everything that we need. 
And thus it was. I received this morning 301 pounds for the Lord's service, as might be most needed. The joy which I had cannot be described. I walked up and down in my room for a long time, tears of joy and gratitude to the Lord reigning plentifully over my cheeks. Praising, and I want you to see this, right? Many of us, when, if we do pray, we go that far to pray, and God answers our prayer, we give him a thumbs up, and we keep going and doing what we want to do. But here's what George Mueller did. Right. He praised and magnified the Lord for his goodness. And here's what he did. And I want you to pay attention to this. He surrendered himself afresh with all of his heart to him for his blessed service. You see, when George Mueller's prayer was answered, as he planted this orphanage, as he created this orphanage, and his needs were met, he committed himself afresh to the Lord's service. He said, not only am I grateful for you getting me out of that mess, I'm going to do this even more for you. Now, you may have missed this one thing because I didn't say it, but if you don't know George Mueller, uh, he planted, uh, I say planted, he began, he founded this orphanage on three basic principles, and the number one is the one you need to know the most. He did not plant this orphanage for the betterment of the children physically and even spiritually. That was number two and number three. He said, primarily, I am founding an orphanage here near Bristol, England for one purpose, to show the church at large that God is still moving and that God is still faithful and that God still provides for his children when they ask him. That's a bold move to try to take care of a thousand children just to prove to people that God will allow you to care for a thousand children if you will just pray to him. But that was his number one motive. He says, I want people to know that God answers prayer. And if I have to go and I'm going to start an orphanage, I'm going to take care of a thousand kids and I'm not going to ask anybody for a dime. That's what it takes, and that's what I'm going to do. And he did. And he's one of the most famous Christian characters, Christian saints in the last 300 years. And we read stories about him all the time, and you have documentaries about him. Because he trusted simply in the Lord's command that if you pray and you seek me, you're going to find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Simply what I want you to do I want you to think of a couple of ways, and I'll help you, that you can stay alert in your own prayers, right? Number one, you can do this. You can make a prayer list, and and I want to encourage you to write this down. I want you to go home, and I want you to create a prayer list, and those two people that you're going to pray for here before you leave, write them down on the top. You need to go make a prayer list. You need to list out with specificity the things that you desire God to answer in your life and go to Him with those prayers, And secondly, keep it updated. Within that, make a prayer list and keep it updated. I think one of the biggest problems is we get so bogged down by everything else that's going on in the world uh, that we write down our prayer list, we lay it aside, and we come back a year later and say, oh, man, I haven't uh, looked at this. But you find out also when you look at all those prayer requests that you prayed, God had answered all those, and you just forgot to keep writing them and keep thanking God for the things that he's done in your past. That's a fundamental flaw in our Christian faith if we forget to write down uh, and thank God for the things that he's done and remember them in our own life. That's the first thing you can do, make a prayer list. Secondly, like George Mueller, right, I want you to keep a prayer journal. Right? This is something I'm working on even, even today, uh, is to make a prayer journal. Do you realize that we have what I just read? We have documentary, or documentary accounts and autobiographies from George Mueller simply because he did one thing. He kept a prayer journal. Like, what you just heard right there was him journaling the things that God had done in his life. And I want you to keep a prayer journal, and I want you to regularly record how God has answered your prayers. 
Right, you're like, this is going to take work. Sure it is. But do you want to keep going the way you've been going? I don't see God working. I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like I'm longing. I feel like there's this emptiness here. Well, let's fill it up. We're going to fill it up because what we're going to see is that God is still moving and God is still working in our lives. In recording how God guides your life, if you record that, it's going to help you do something. It's going to help you move in concert with God. One of the things that has helped my life the most is as I walk in faith, as I make a lot of decisions uh, as a pastor, as a church planner, as a husband, uh, as a Christian in general, uh, when I write down all the things that God does uh, and I'm looking to know where to go in the future, well, to know where I'm going in the future, I look back at how God has acted in the past in my life. And what I have noticed is there is a continuity in all the things that God has done in my past over and over and over and over again so I can be confident as I'm walking, I'm walking in God's will. Some of you don't remember how God acted in your life last week, and you have a hard time understanding how he's going to act tomorrow. But if you would remember and write it down and keep in your mind how God has been working over and over and over again in your life, you're going to find it much easier to charge forward in obedience and faithfulness to God because you know God. You know him. You know how he works. You know how he works in your life. You know the kind of patterns that he places in your life, and you follow after them. And that's because you've been alert. That's because you have been somebody who's praying in alertness, and you understand how God is moving day by day by day, just like George Mueller. That's the first way, right? The first way to pray is we need to be watchful. But there's something else uh, at the end of this verse that's going to help you understand how to pray faithfully to God, and that is with thanksgiving. You can underline that participle. In chapter, in chapter 4, verse 2, we need to continue in prayer, but we got to continue and be devoted to a prayer with thanksgiving. Now, here's something I want you to understand. Uh, it isn't tacking on a thankful sentence at the end of your prayer. God, I want a new car. Uh, I, want, I want a spouse. Uh, I want that house that that other person was going to buy, but now I want it. Uh, and God, just thank you also. Amen. That, no wonder your prayers aren't getting answered, right? If we're, that's how we pray. And even, even when we pray well and just say, God, I think this is, uh, I want this, I need this, I want this, uh, all these things, God, pray for my, for my sister, pray for my aunt, pray for my uncle, all these things are sick. Uh, and God, just thank you so much. Amen. That is tacking on thankfulness at the end of your prayer, but that's not what this says. You see, this is a participle, and it's connected to devotion to prayer. And all I'm saying is this, your thanksgiving in prayer is not that part of your prayer has thanksgiving, it's that your prayer is done in thanksgiving, right? Your whole prayer is wrapped up, wrapped in, and wrapped around thanksgiving. Did you hear that? Wrapped up, wrapped in, and wrapped around thanksgiving, okay? And you're like, well, what does that mean? It simply means this, that you're not just praying for God to do things, uh, you're praying with thanksgiving, thanksgiving in your life of things that God has already done and how God is working and how God will work. And everything in your life should be done with a disposition of thankfulness to God. I'll give you an example. Uh, if you're a Christian in here, that means if you've understood you're a sinner, if you've turned from your sins and you've trusted in Christ, uh, you can understand this. You have two things to fundamentally go to God about every single day of your life. God, thank you that I'm saved and you have brought me out of a dark place. You've brought me out of my sins and placed me in Christ. And thank you for taking the time not only to save me, but to repurpose me for your glory. Every single prayer that you have can begin and end with that truth. And therefore, your prayer is done in thanksgiving, with thankfulness in your heart. That word thanksgiving, it comes from the Greek word uh, eucharisteo. 
Okay, Eucharisteo. You may not know Greek, but you may have heard of something that we call the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist, right? If maybe if you grew up in the high church, or maybe if that's what you just call the Lord's Supper. Uh, but that word uh, Eucharist is uh, in the Lord's Supper. It's called a memorial meal of thanksgiving, right? And so when you think about it this way, and when you're taking the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, right, what you're doing is you're taking the whole meal in what way? In thankfulness for what God had done in Christ by pouring out his blood and taking his body and placing it on the cross, right? That's what we, in, in the whole time, we're spending, when we're taking the Lord's Supper, in thankfulness to God. God, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. And the whole process is done within thankfulness. You don't just do it all and then thank God at the end. The whole process is done in thankfulness. That's how our prayers work. The whole time, we're thanking God within our prayers for the fact that Christ had poured out his blood and had given his body for us that we could commune with God in our lives. You see how this works. It's, it's a full thing that we do in our life, in our own lives, and it's in all things. First Thessalonians, you don't have to flip to it, but at least uh, jot it down. First Thess, you can abbreviate it. First Thess 5, 16 through 18. Uh, here's, here's how you need to pray. You need to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. My favorite things when I, in the Bible are when the Bible literally says, this is God's will for you, right? Because so many people always ask the question, what is God's will for me? Do you know what God's will is for me? Can, can you tell me God's will? You're a pastor. What's God's will? Okay, I'll tell you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, God's will in Christ Jesus for you is that you're in your prayers, in your life, you're rejoicing always, you pray without ceasing, and you give thanks in all circumstances, right? If you ever wonder, what does God want for you? That's what he wants for you. And it's that easy. And if, that's, if you're like, well, that's not what I asked for. That's what, that's what God's asked for. Right? And our life is that we would do those things. And really, it comes down to this, and it's point number three, that you would center your prayers on thanksgiving. Right? Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Really, it means for us that we center your prayers on thanksgiving. And you say, well, pastor, what about the bad circumstances? And I say, especially the bad circumstances. Look at me. I know that you have bad circumstances. I know you have sorrow. I know that people in your family have died and they're hurt. And I know things in your life have been going bad. Your family members are separated. You have all these things in your life. And I get it. Me too. Like, I mean, we all do. But we trust something about God's sovereignty. That is that God reigns over everything. That God is working everything together for the good of those who... Love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So I know as I'm walking in the will of God that all things are working together. And so therefore I can pray even in the worst of times in thanksgiving to God. You remember George Mueller. I just talked to you about him. Uh, there was a time in his life in 1853 uh, where he, his daughter, his only child, his only daughter was on her deathbed. Uh, and in the 1800s when you were on your deathbed, you often didn't come off of your deathbed. Uh, and he was obviously distraught. He was having a, a very difficult time in his life. Uh, and this is what he said when it comes to uh, centering his prayers on Thanksgiving, even in the middle of bad circumstances. Here's what he said. 1853, his daughter is sick on her deathbed. Of all the trials of faith that as yet I have had to pass through, this was the greatest. And by God's abundant mercy, I own it to his praise. Did you hear that just for a moment? He said, by God's abundant mercy, I own it to his praise. How many of you guys, when you go through a bad time, you won't own it? 
You're trying to do everything you can to get around it, to get by it, to get through it, to jump over it, to dig under it. Like, you're, I don't want it. I don't want any part of any of this bad stuff. But for George Mueller and for, and for the faithful believer, uh, what we understand that in God's abundant mercy, I take every situation I'm in and I own it to his praise. I own it. My only child is on her deathbed and I own it. And I own it because I believe that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him or call him to his, according to his purpose, so I own it. Listen, I was enabled to delight myself in the will of God. Who is this man? I could delight myself in the will of God, for I felt, felt perfectly sure that if the Lord took this beloved daughter, it would be best for her parents, best for herself, and more for the glory of God than if she lived this better part I was satisfied with. And thus, my heart had peace, perfect peace, and I had not a moment's anxiety. Thus, listen to this, thus would it be under all circumstances, however painful, were the believer exercising faith. He said, in every circumstance, this is my hope and this is my desire, even as my daughter is lying on her deathbed, however painful the situation is, that in all circumstances, we would exercise faith in trust, in God's goodness, in God's sovereignty. Now, I'm not telling you he didn't pray for the healing of his daughter. Actually, a matter of fact, uh, before this in the book, it tells you that he does. And, if you want to know the truth, she survived. But I love this because in the midst of it, just like Jesus, as he's about to be betrayed, and he goes to God and says, God, take this cup from me, but it's not my will. I want your will. Your, your will be done. And George Mueller says, I want my daughter to be healed. God, would you heal her? But at the end of the day, I own it, and I trust in you, and I delight in your will. What if your life looked like that? Even in the worst circumstances in your prayer, you would go to God and you would say, I delight myself in the circumstances that you have me in because it's your sovereignty, and it's you I trust, and I don't trust in, I don't trust in anything but Christ. And because of that, my heart can be at peace and perfect peace. Because I trust in you, because I center my life and my prayers on thanksgiving. Well, they got simple, one simple way of application for you in this. And it's that you would look to God's sovereignty and providential care in every prayer. And before you zone out, because you don't understand what that theological pastor up there is talking about when he says sovereignty and providence, what I'm saying is this. That God is reigning over every situation on planet earth. Every particle and molecule in existence is reigned over by Christ. And that God is providential, and that means he provides for his people. And so if in every single prayer that you would pray, if you would understand two things, that God reigns over everything and God provides in everything whatever his gracious will would deem necessary and glorifying to him and good for his people. I'm not saying that it's good in your mind or in your perspective. I'm saying God said this was good. And if God says it's good, I'm going to say, okay. And that's how my prayer ought to look. And I just need to make sure that I look in every prayer, how is God reigning in the situation, and how has God provided thus far, and how do I trust in God's provision moving forward? And that's what it means for me to center my prayer on Thanksgiving. And that's what we need to do. We look at the devotion to prayer, which is the, the main thrust of this verse. The imperative is that I devote my life to prayer, that I truly spend time communing with my God, and that in the ways that I do it, as I'm watchful like a watchdog, right? I pay attention, I'm looking, I'm alert in prayers, 
And then in all those things, I'm wrapping them up, wrapping them in, wrapping them around thanksgiving to God for what he's done, for what he will do, what he continues to do, and what he's done since the existence of the world. And that is God has moved and God has brought people to himself. So I can ask you, well, what do I do? Like, what, what can I do? Well, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you this, and we'll do it right now. I'll lead you as a pastor in the very thing I want you to do, and it is pray. So I want to spend some time right now in some extended prayer. And so what I'm going to do, if you would bow your head, is I'm going to go to the Lord as your shepherd, as your pastor, to lead you in the very thing that I've preached about this morning. So pray with me. God, I come to you, even as we, we, we're wrapping our minds around what it means to commune with you, what it means to just talk to you, that, God, you bend your ear to hear us. God, you are lofty, you are risen, you are high above the heavens and the earth. Our ways are not, your ways were so far away from you in so many respects, and yet your word makes it very clear that if we call out to you, you will hear us and you will answer us. And so, God, because of that, my greatest prayer as a pastor of this church is that your people would call on your name, that your people would, would plan, would calendar, would, would commit, God, and would be consistent in their own prayer life. God, and I pray that if anything, if, if they're lacking so many things, they would just look to your, the leadership of this church as people who are fundamentally flawed, but, God, that we're functionally fully committed to prayer and for you to move and for you to do great things in the life of our families and our church and this city and this world, God, for your glory and for the good of many people that you bring to yourself. And so, God, I pray in utmost thanksgiving, God, that you would plant a church in New Braunfels uh, that, is, that is all about your word, that is all about prayer, that is all about seeing lost people saved and saved people discipled. God, my prayer is this in utter thanksgiving that you uh, would have, since the beginning of time, planned for this church to be right here in this very moment to see great things happen. And I just pray, God, as the leader, as a pastor of this church, that I would be on the forefront, stepping out in faith and going to where our human capabilities cannot and extending our lives and ourselves and our church to a place where you have to provide so that people could look at us, much like they did at the orphanage there with George Mueller, when they looked at his life and what he had built there in your name, that they said only God could do this. And I pray that this church would do things that only God, only you could do and only you could provide for. God, I don't only pray for that, but I pray in our families, even as we preached about a couple of months ago, that our husbands and our wives would, would be functioning biblically in such a way when, when people look at their lives, they see, as Ephesians 5 says, Christ and his relationship with your church. That the, the husband loves his wife like Christ loves his church, and that the wife would submit herself under her husband the way that the church ought to submit herself to Christ, and that when people see marriages, they see Christ. And I pray that we raise our children up in godly homes, and I pray that we, we pray we make them wise to salvation, and I pray that all of this would be done, God, ultimately for your glory, but we know in all those things that are for your glory, it's for the good of those who love you. And so, God, I pray for the love of this church to grow for you, and that we would love you and love your way, that we would love your word, God, and we would love your will. God, there's so many more things I could pray for, but to stop and just to say thank you for all of these things would not be nearly enough when addressing all the things that you've done and you will do. But we commit and we pray, God, that to you, we will give our lives to, to you, this church belongs. God, it is your bride. Let us steward it well. And God, as we go out into this community, as we reach people for Christ, as we teach people to be like Christ, and as we train people to serve Christ, God, uh, bless those uh, ambitions, bless uh, the endeavors. 
God, let it bear much fruit for your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.